You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve, and Lease Plan. He's a sir, he's a world renowned scientist. He's, the, he's an entrepreneur, he's the 2010 New Zealander of the Year, he's founder of Medicine Mondial, amongst other things. Please welcome to the stage, Sir Ray Avery. I think this will work. Sounds good. That sounds good. All right, now. I'm going to have to resort to my bullet points here because there's a lot to get through. This is almost like this is your life on speed, so we will get into it. Okay, so number one, at one point you're an orphan living under a bridge in England. You go to the library and spend a lot of time reading the encyclopedia. You work some lighting for the bridge. Uh, you go to New Zealand, you make a lot of money, but then you realise that life is more important than money, so you start dedicating your wide range of knowledge to helping people. Uh, and including working with the Fred Hollows Foundation to help treat blindness in the developing world. Uh, you almost get blown up in a taxi in Nepal. Uh, you become New Zealander, of the, New Zealander of the Year and a Sir, and now you're here with us in a nutshell. Oh, and you did get a, a bunny rabbit for the family. Yes, as well. I did. <laughs> so is that, is, that's it in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Well, it's just, my life's just getting started, you know. <laughs> now, you've spoken about your life and breaking it down into, into days and then really making sure, like can you, can you talk us through that and how important that is in terms of the impact that you have around the world and, and the goals that you achieve? Well I think one of the, the fundamental problems that we have as a species is that we're the only species on the planet that we know we're going to die but does bugger all about it. <laughs> you're all going to bloody die but you've got no idea about, you know, you're writing checks like there's no tomorrow. What you need to do is have a plan. If you have a plan, you'll be more successful in life. I know that I'm going to die. So that means that I can risk all. Because the end of it is terrible. <laughs> and so I've worked out that I've probably got about 4,975 days left to live. And, and I'm trying to turn them into twice that by not sleeping. Uh, <laughs> and it's working. Um, but I do have a plan of the things that I want to do. Because I'm taking up space on this planet that some poor bugger in Africa doesn't have and he has no chance at life. So my responsibility as a human being is to make a difference. So I get up every day trying to work out how I can use my particular sector skills and encourage others uh, to follow me to do something that's remarkable and change the world, make it better than we found it. Um, so you have a plan. And so I implore you to, to go home, do the maths. Uh, your average age, of, if you're a guy, is probably going to be 85 and well, a woman might be a slightly older. Uh, but you are going to die and work out what you're going to do with this remaining time and have a plan. And if you do that, you'll be much more successful than your contemporaries because they're all wandering around in Rotorua and having a bit of a spa and thinking their life's going to go on forever. It ain't going to go on forever. It's not bad to have a bit of balance, though. Like, you can have a spa occasionally, right? Oh, no, well, I like a drink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of drinks. And, um, but no, I, 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 but I, again, it's a question of... Um, having a plan about what you want to do. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, German about it, but I do um, I don't know look if at my say, family. I don't know if we can say that sort of thing <laughs> anymore. <laughs> no, but, but, I, but I, I, I have times in the day that I allocate to my kids. My kids are the last person they see when they go to school and the first person they see when I, they come home because I want them to uh, have uh, their dad in their life and, and I 
have, uh, you know, they're, they're lucky because their dad's mad and so they can come in the laboratory with me and make stuff, you know. So if somebody mm. at school, they've got a school project for making a volcano. <laughs> it, and the, the school wrote to me and said that the grass will grow back, you know. Mm. I've been thinking about the family because obviously this year, and don't tell anyone at the office, but I do think that I'm more productive when I'm at home. And I've come to the realisation that I don't need to necessarily compromise the time with my daughter. I can still get stuff done and spend more time with family. Have you got any advice in terms of, like, you, you know, you've got these things that you want to achieve. You want to reduce the number of the hours that you spend in the spa, maybe keep the drinking going. But how do you keep that balance with family and getting the, making the impact that you want in the world? Well, again, it's a question of having a plan. Um, and uh, and I don't, that's why I say I'm not German, but I, don't, I, I do have a regime of when I turn my phone on and when I don't turn my phone on and making sure that I have enough time for the family. And we're dealing with countries in Africa and Asia that, that certain time zones uh, are, are relevant. So I, I break my, my day up into that. But I think one of the big messages I'd like to get across today is um, what if, what if um, you weren't um, processed by the normal education system that we have? I spoke this morning on radio because there was an Otago study that came out and said that... Um, and my good friend Ken Robinson, if, if you want to have the best laugh in your life, go and do a Google search for Professor Ken Robinson and you'll see his thoughts on why the education system months creativity. And all of you guys have been processed by that system. My only gift in life was that I wasn't. When I was living, uh, I brutalised as a kid. Uh, I didn't have any parents to tell me what to do. When I was living under a railway bridge, nobody told me what to do. And... Um, and nobody processed me through the education system. In fact, they knew that I was retarded because I had acute glue ear and couldn't hear what the teachers were saying. I needed glasses and couldn't see the board. Um, and so they knew I was retarded and they left me at the back of the class. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it enabled me to have an imagination and draw things and do things. And so I wasn't fettered by... So I actually believe... You know, there's a wonderful um, best ad in the world is, is an Apple ad, which is here's to the crazy ones. Because the people that are crazy enough to believe that they can change the world are the ones that do. So I'm not fettered by that conditioning of being processed. I've been successful because I've been allowed to be successful. When your kids go to primary school, they can open all the drawers and play with all the toys. As soon as they go to proper school, they have to put a uniform on. They're processed. They do rote learning, which is to teach you how to remember shit. My youngest daughter came to me the other day, uh, or a few, few months ago, and she said, I'm having trouble with my nine times table. And I said, look at this thing here, it's called a calculator. <laughs> she goes, why am I learning this shit? <laughs> <laughs> and she's got a point. Uh, <laughs> so so what, what I'm trying to do um, with my kids, and this, I'd employ you all to do this with your kids, you've got kids, they're going to be processed by the machinery of the education system. They're going to be judged by how they remember stuff. But what you can do as a parent is to allow them to play. So if I see my girls running around with a chainsaw, I wouldn't jump in and say, stop doing that. I'd just say, I wonder where they're going with that. You know? <laughs> there's got to be a point, though. No, there's no fucking point. There's no fucking limit. <laughs> because I'm going to change the world. We're launching a product called the Amino Lateral company that's going to be launched on PledgeMe. Why we're doing it on PledgeMe is because it's a crowdfunding platform and it's about making a nutritional product. It's the world first nutritional product. Uh, I'll just go back a click. 
Um, in the early 80s, the World Health Organization said that um, cataract blindness couldn't be eradicated using modern cataract surgery, where you put a lens in to replace the natural lens of the eye. The lenses were too expensive, there were not enough trained surgeons, and it couldn't be done. From an accident, I met Fred Hollows, and I developed some technology which is used by all the major manufacturers in the world today. And by the time uh, my daughter is my age, 100 million people at least will have had their sight restored using that technology. That shows how one person can change the world. Right now, the World Health Organization says that you can do modern cataract surgery. So we did that. So I'm dreaming that we can fix um, protein energy malnutrition on a global scale. And it starts in New Zealand. We've got these Amigo bars. They've been trialled in Africa and Asia. They're coming out in schools in New Zealand. And we're doing a crowdfunding uh, campaign on, uh, on Pledge Me, not because we couldn't find the money from a, um, an investment uh, company, but because we want to build a t an army of Amigos who believe that they can change the world. And so we're rolling that out, and I think it'll be, have more impact than all the blindness prevention stuff that I've ever done. And I believe that I can change the world, so I'm trying to do it. And, it. and I think if we can convince people to believe that they can do things, then we can have a much better world. So don't be limited by other people's imagination and the processing that you've gone through. Because if you allow yourself to dream really, really big, you can change the world in amazing ways that you never thought possible. If we go back to creativity, so, so creativity is potentially munted in schools. Has that kind of permeated through business today, do you think? Well, I think the education system itself sets up that, that, that metric. Um, and um, somebody said to me this morning, um, isn't it, isn't it, oh, you've got to have some rules. You know, you know you've got to teach kids etiquette and have a processing thing. Uh, my belief is that, um, and I've seen this in developing countries when I've taken people um, out of context, is that we, we're all pre-programmed to be actually kind at the end of the, the, the day. You know, there is a human humanity spirit about us that looks after the sick and the halt and the lame, which separates us out from the animal kingdom. So I don't think we necessarily need to have a set of rules about it. Um, on the other side of the coin, of course, we always have survival instincts. So if there's another lockdown, it's every toilet roll man for himself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I know that you've reminded us all that we're going to die, so thank you very much for that. But are you, are you optimistic about the next 10 years when you look at when you look at the country and the people here and what we have the potential to do? Well, one of the things that separates us, again, from the animal kingdom is that we are the most adaptive species on the planet. And from a business perspective, I want you to consider this. Um, um, you, you can't stand still. One of the first companies I set up was, um, if you want to have a successful company, the first thing you need to do is have a determination of customer statement of need. And that comes from observation, looking at what the customer is actually looking for. So I remember working in a fish and chip shop, again, under a second-hand job, um, and we used to cut up all the fish and chips, or the, sorry, the, the, the potatoes, ready for the, the Friday and Saturday rush. And the, we had to peel the potatoes, cut them up. And I thought, there's an opportunity here. So I bought a second-hand potato peeler machine. Me and my school chums cut it all up and started delivering it to all the fish and chip shops. It was fantastic. It went off like a cut lunch in the sun. Brilliant. But then, of course, when we got it to the next day, all the, the potatoes had started to go brown. They'd oxidised. So I went to the library and looked at oxidation and we started, we liberated a, a nitrogen cylinder from the school physics lab and did some sparging of nitrogen and fixed that problem. But the reality was um, that today Birdseye jumped over all of that technology and just did flash freezing. 
So the thing is, technology is changing at such a rapid rate today that you need to pick an industry that's not changing as rapidly as anything else. The lighting industry is a great example. We used to have incandescent lights, candles, and all these things changes very rapidly. So uh, fluorescent lights went out very quickly, and now we've got, we had halogens, and now we've got LEDs. So all of those things are changing so rapidly. So your customer statement of need needs to be constantly upgraded to make sure that you're really on point with what your customers want. So to answer your question, foreseeing the future is very, very hard mm. in terms of understanding what's happening. All we can do as a species and what we're very, very bloody good at is adaption. Mm. That's why we're still here. We adapt very readily. And I believe that um, the power of all of us, and there's not one person in this room that's as clever as all of us, and if we talk to each other and share ideas, then there's nothing that's off the table in terms of changing the world. I'll kind of loop back to that creativity question because I think that is connected to adaptation and, and innovation as well. Uh, is there any advice that you would give to businesses, people in the room, to kind of shake things up a little bit and, you know, to use the chainsaw analogy, but just kind of see where things go? And, and you know, is there, is there a caveat in there? Well, I think it goes back to every, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all unicellular organisms. You know, we're all pre-programmed. We come pre-programmed with our own software. And one of the problems that we have is trying to work as large groups of people. Um, and what happens often, if you get the larger the organisation, the more you get tribes, you get production who hate quality assurance. Hmm. And then we all fucking hate accounts, you know. <laughs> um, and so you get these tribalisms. within. And, and the big trick is all of us to understand that our first primary role is to support the business and set aside our own personal nuances about how we think things will work and act as one as a team. And that's my only skill in life is as a leader, your job is to um, lead from the front, but pretty much you've got your hands behind you dragging and holding those people and encouraging them from behind. So you have to walk the talk and talk the talk and, and do the stuff and show people by your very being that you are the real deal. And if you get that right, and, it, and it's not about the top of the guy at the top, it's often the guy at the bottom that's doing that as well in your business. And they should be recognised and applauded. So um, one of the things that you can do, this is very powerful stuff, and it can get you a lot of, into a lot of problems in your personal life. But what you do with all your staff, and all my staff do this across everything, at the end of each day, the supervisor or the person they're reporting to or the person that's sub-reporting to, they have to give that person that they're immediately reporting to or that they report to three adjectives to describe their performance as a human being, not their job. Three adjectives to describe your performance as a human being that day. So quite often somebody will be leaving uh, my, my office and they'll shout out over their shoulder, inspirational, clever, thoughtful. And if they shout out inspirational, clever and complex, I want to have them in the next to understand what that last adjective means. And in your personal life, it can work very well. You know, I often say to my wife at night, you know, three words for Mr. Ray. And uh, she was sick um, a few months ago and was vomiting and in, the, in the bedroom. And she came back to the bedroom and I could smell the vomit on her. And she went and she, she'd been up, you know, all night with, you know, she'd been travelling in foreign country and uh, got this terrible disease. And so, <laughs> so I, 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 I said to her, you know, just jokingly, three words, Mr. Ray. And she says, you've got to be kidding. It's four o'clock in the morning. I've just been vomiting. And, and, and then she couldn't resist. She said three words for Miss Anna. And I said, sexy, voluptuous and sexy. You know. She said, 
you're not going to get any. You know. <laughs> if I had known it was going there, <laughs> I wouldn't have. <laughs> but the point is that you are not a unicellular animal. You have responsibility to everybody next to you on the planet. And if you get that right, you'll be successful. There's another thing that I was reading into uh, just what you were talking about in terms of your work with, with Fred Hollows uh, and, and Amigo Bars as well. And it seems like leverage, you know, you can change the world, but you don't need to do everything yourself or there could be that spark. Can you talk about, can you talk about that a little bit more and where the opportunities are in that leverage for, for anyone in the room? Well, I think my, my big thing was... Um I guess, coming to that revelation that it was possible to change the world. I mean, I didn't wake up under the railway bridge and think my first um, uh, aspirations under the railway bridge was to own my own bicycle shop. I was collecting bicycles from the tip, refurbishing them and selling to my school chums. So my imagination about where I might end up in life was very limited. And then I was very successful. I worked hard and had this string of laboratories in the UK. Um, and, um, you know... Uh, if you're brought up uh, in orphanages with no love and no mum and dad and you have no social um, metrics, I mean, the good thing is that you have no social metrics or you know no barriers to doing something wonderful, but also you, you don't have those rules that have been put in by your mum and dad about how you should perform in life. So my first um, uh, idea about how male and female relationships worked, because I didn't have a mum and dad to tell me, was the periodicals that I was delivering on my paper round. And the first one was Women's Own, 1957, you know. Um, and so at Women's Own, you knew that if you fell in love, your heart would be pul you know, pulsing and, and your music would be playing, Bambi dolls would be jumping around and it would be fantastic. My other one was Playboy magazine. And so <laughs> that wasn't going to play out well, and it didn't, um, because my first ambitions in life at the age of 15 were to be a millionaire by the time I was 26 and to be loved by as many women as possible. And uh, I gave it a good crack and uh, I was successful on both fronts. Um, but, <laughs> but it wasn't really the, <laughs> the nirvana. The, when I got there, it was terrible because I had all the I had girlfriends in London and Dover and in Canterbury. And you couldn't do this today because you get busted no. on the mobile phone. Yeah, no. <laughs> but in those days, people had to get to the end of the road and get on the bloody hard-wired thing. So I could keep them all separate. And I had a clinical problem because of my bringing, being brought up in the UK uh, in orphanages. And that was I, I hated women crying. You know, I, I hated it. So I never broke up with any of them, you know. <laughs> You do that for a decade, you've got a serious lot of problems, you know. <laughs> and thankfully, God intervened. And uh, I was technically around London on my motorbike and uh, just to get to my appointments quicker. And, uh, and some idiot put a roundabout where there wasn't one in the morning. And I crashed into it and I broke every single bone in the left-hand side of my body. Tibia, fibula, all gone. I was in hospital for six weeks. That was enough time for all those women to find me. <laughs> at the same time. They weren't happy. So I left for New Zealand. No, um, <laughs> but that was the wake-up call that all the things that I thought would make me happy and those aspirational things I think are very much embedded in our society and in, in the sense of our success in business, that we judge that success by how much money you've made and so on. And so I had a chance for a reset and I came to New Zealand and ended up setting up the Department of Clinical Pharmacology and then working as technical director for Douglas Pharmaceuticals. And that got me involved in healthcare. And every 
company that I invest in these days has got some footprint in healthcare and looking after the whole the second the lane. And I found um, happiness in that. Uh, um, to try and make sense of all the terrible things that happened to me, I can do that by making people smile. I remember being in the streets of Nepal and this woman came up to me probably 20 years after I'd built the laboratory there and she said, uh, Mr. Ray, you are God. You will save my son's life. And that one woman affected me more than all the hundreds of thousands or millions of people that have had their sight restored because it was a very personal relationship. And for me, um, I, I want to have that, bestowing that kind of affection on my kids where when they, because my responsibility is to my kids as well and to make my kids say, dad was a ferociously clever and funny guy. And the, the, the adjectives that my kids give me has is, is, is changed. When I was when they were young, they would say, clever, 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 because that was the only words that they could do. And now they're really quite uh, complicated and they often say, sly. <laughs> and that relates to what I do to them to get them to do shit um, <laughs> around the house. When you started talking about the hundreds of thousands of, I was worried you were going to talk about the hundreds of thousands of women you had dated. <laughs> so well, well, far too many. <laughs> Now, if we, if, we, if we move on to... I'm, I'm trying to segue away from Playboy, um, that kind of thing, so just work with me a little bit. But Nepal, death experiences, how many have you had? In Nepal? or Yeah, well, anyway, actually. But you've had a few in, in Nepal. Oh, well, you know, I mean, uh, again, I think God either, God either loves you or he doesn't love you. Uh, and I, no, this is just getting very sort of heebie-jeebie, but I'm not a great believer in... Um, um, you know, um, fate and, and things like that. But all, all I can say as a matter of observation is that I've been lucky, you know, in seeing situations. I'm in, I, I was in Eritrea at the end of the 30-year War of Independence and um, the war uh, str struck up again. And I went to all of my team and I said, look, we're stuck here. We've got a couple of choices. We can either go out overland by the Sudan or we can stay here. There's lots of bombing going on and shooting and the Ethiopians may invade and we'll be captured and tortured for the rest of our life. Uh, if we get on this plane where all the um, diplomats are going out, you'll be safe. Or we can stay and finish the job. Uh, I'm going to stay, but, it, you know, you guys can make your own decision. But because, I guess, of me, they said, we'll stay, right?" And we did, and we finished the factory. Um, there were bombs going off around and, and, and places. One of the things I love about life is that I'm... Having had so many experiences in life, I'm pretty much fearless or stupid... Uh, one of the two. And a good example of that is that we had a guy called Matthew. And he, he was a bit like Andre. You know, he's tall and, and you know, elegant. Handsome. And, and, uh, and, and he, he was annoyingly beautiful. You know, he had bl blonde hair. <laughs> blonde hair. And he, he just was annoying. You know, he, he could do everything and lift small tractors with a, his finger. And we were down in, uh, the, 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 at, a, at a port um, uh, called Masawa. And it had just been bombed um, by the Ethiopians. And um, um, we were down there on to get out of the town because that was being bombed even more. And we went down there. We're on the side of the, the, the beach there and it's 40 degrees plus and there's this huge explosion. And, uh, and, and, this, and Matthew just hit the ground, just straight down. Me and the Eritreans were standing there, just standing there looking around. And then the Eritrean looked down at Matthew and said, Matthew, that was just thunder. And that was, that was my moment, you know. Um, so, I, so I'm not worried about the bangs. I was in the earthquake, earthquake and that's the only time, seriously, in my life that I've ever been frightened because all the other times when I've been 
in situations where bombs and people have been shooting at me, I have had choices. I can run away, I can hide, I can duck. But when you're in the middle of an earthquake and the road's going up and down like that, it is a terrifying experience. And uh, ironically, I'd been talking to 300 surgeons who, who subsequently went out and amputated the limbs off people to get them out of the, the, the earthquake debris. And I'd been talking to them about being fearless, and I said, I'm not really frightened of anything. And, but then in that moment when I was uh, walking up the, towards the airport and the second um, quake happened, and buildings were coming down around me, and I looked up to God and I said, OK, knock it off, I can be fucking scared, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, but generally, I'm not worried about what's going to happen. Because if I was, I'd be worried about death. Um, what I'm trying to do is know that there's inevitability. One of the saddest things I saw in the last few days for me um, was, um, you know, somebody who um, was, was, was dying and was, was 80 or 90 years old and seeing a picture of them when they were a younger man. And that's the reality is that mm. um, I'm not frightened of getting old. In fact, I, you know... Re revile against the coming of the night. Um, but I am aware that there is a, a finite clock ticking. So my reason for talking to you today is that if there's one person in the room who says, Sir Ray dared to dream and he actually did end up changing the world, and maybe I can, and it may be somebody who's in digital media or something, uh, or building a better team around you that can do something really miraculous. Because often we are predicated in the limitations of the social system that we've been educated in. But if you took that away, when you see kids playing in preschool, they can play with all the toys and do what they like. Play with your toys, dream really, really big, and you know, watch that Apple ad about the crazy ones. Uh, Apple made, that's the other thing, be not product-centric, but customer-centric. If you're product-centric, you'll go bust. But if you're absolutely customer-centric and keep modulating your customer-centric focus, on the evolving process. And hopefully you foresee the future of those customers. You know, if you can do that, then you've got a business. But one thing above that's, that sits above all of that is try and do something that's good. Because a lot of the stuff that we make is not good for us and our planet. And a lot of the infrastructures that we put in. Um, what I do is I get up in the morning and think, uh, and I don't do it for anybody particularly. I don't do it for the people that we, we, we've certainly saved a lot of people's lives, a lot of blindness. I do it because I can. Because I can and it makes me happy, you know. Um, I just want to um, make something beautiful out of my life. Um, and if I do that, then all that awful stuff that happened to me gets kind of balanced out. And I'm privileged to know a whole lot of people. Andrew and I are working together on some projects. And um, what I want to see is that we look after each other and are kind to each other and come up. We're, we're unique in New Zealand because we're, we operate as a small village actually and so we can communicate with each other and talk to each other and we're largely um, devoid of any secular problems. If you think about the states, all the problems in the states are far too complex for us to try and solve but here we've got a community that we can actually make a difference in the world. So um, later in this month we'll have the um, Pledge Me campaign coming up and think about this. This is a good, good idea of how I think. What if somebody like Nestle or Coca-Cola got up in the morning and decided to make a product that was going to change nutrition on a global scale. What a different world we'd have if they had decided to do that. I've decided to do that and I'm going to give it a, my best shot for the last 10 years of my life. And if we pull it off, what a difference it'll make to the world. So that's what you do because you can.
Wonderful. On that note, we'll let you get back to it, but thank you very much for giving, <laughs> for giving part of your day to us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the M2 podcast featuring one of our speakers from the M2 Summit, 3rd of November, 2020, brought to you by Yukiwi Natural Oral Care, Woodford Reserve and Lease Plan.